Welcome to worship. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. We're so glad that you joined us today. If this is your first time with us, we wanna invite you to check in with us, maybe provide an email address, and this coming week, we will send you a Starbucks gift card. Coffee is on us. Today is week three of our sermon series about David. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, we have sermon discussion questions and more that you'll find online at schweitzer.church next. And now let's listen to Stephanie as she shares some great announcements about what's going on at Schweitzer Church. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. Have you ever wanted to travel to the Holy Land? Well, coming up this fall and in the spring of 2024, we'll have opportunities for you to travel with groups from Schweitzer to Israel and beyond. If you have an interest in this, you can grab a flyer to find out more, stop by the Blue Booth, or find out more at schweitzer.church next. Coming up on Friday, June 23rd, Schweitzer Kids is hosting a family Nerf and Nachos night in the gym at 6 p.m. We will have a blast playing all kinds of Nerf games and eating nachos. You can bring your friends, your family, anybody that you can find. We also need some additional adults to help with this big night in our gym. You can find out more and sign up at schweitzer.church kids. On Sunday, June 25th from 2 to 3.30, we're hosting another Writers' Roundtable. If you're a writer or even an aspiring one, we invite you to come join us for Sundays and Shorts. We'll be hearing some short stories, enjoying some ice cream together, and being inspired by one another. You can find out more at schweitzer.church writers. Don't forget, next Sunday is Father's Day, and we are once again excited to host the Churro Trek. Bring your whole family and enjoy this special day here at Schweitzer. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Let's continue with that worship. Thanks, Stephanie, for those great announcements. We invite you to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening at Schweitzer Church. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in the prayer room. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now on this beautiful day, let's continue in worship. You 
As we come to this time of prayer today, I invite you to join me as we pray together. Holy God, wonderful Father, we praise you today in our time of worship. We praise you for who you are and for the blessings you give to each one of us. God, we come to you as people who have sinned and fallen so short of the goal, but we know that your forgiveness washes over every one of us if we simply ask. Thank you for that gift. And God, this week as we hear the sermon, we hear about enemies and, and things that, that come against us. And, and Lord, we have these things happen to us frequently and we don't remember to give them back to you. God, protect us from things that can harm us. Give us your safety, wrap your arms around us and allow us to be strong in the faith so that we can reach out and share your love and good news with others around us. We thank you for those blessings. We thank you for being there for each one of us. And now, Lord, we want to pray together the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just on the north side of our church campus, we have the East Stanford Neighborhood Garden. This community garden allows for people from all over the city to come and plant and harvest their own crops. It's a great way for ministry to happen. The fellowship that happens here is wonderful. The volunteer opportunities are just tremendous. And it's because of you that these things can take place. We want to thank you for your support of this ministry and so many others here at Schweitzer and remind you that you can give by going online at schweitzer.church give. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week three of our sermon series about David.
Well, friends, welcome today. I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name is Spencer. Today is part three of our series on King David, one of the most influential and important people in the whole Bible. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And so we're spending all summer long going deep into the story, Memorial Day to Labor Day weekend. We are spending all summer to dive deep into his story because there's so much to learn from him. Um, today, we're going to cover a ton of ground, two chapters in the Bible, 1 Samuel uh, 18 and 19. So if you have your Bibles, be helpful to, to follow along with us as we're doing a lot of Bible study as we walk through this series um, over the course of the summer. Uh, last week, if you, if you missed last week, I feel sorry for you because we did David and Goliath, and that's just one of the best stories in the Bible. Um, but today picks up right on the heels of David and Goliath. So think about David and Goliath. Jesus or David's a great, great victory over Goliath. And now you have this, like what happens right after that? Um, so First uh, Samuel 18 opens with these words. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Saul is King Saul, the current king of Israel. And he's talking with Saul, like right after Goliath. Like this is on the battlefield. You can imagine David holding up the head of, of Goliath, talking to Saul that just happened. So after David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, that is King Saul's son, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. So now that David is the hero of Israel, he comes to work in the court of King Saul in the inner circle. And of course, in the background, we know from the first week of the series that David was anointed as the next king of Israel, as a young child, maybe 13, 14 years old, a teenager. He was uh, the prophet came to town and in a secret uh, kind of ceremony anointed David to be the next king of Israel. This is God's plan for David's life that he's going to lead the people of Israel, be the king um, after Saul. But but no one else knows this and David is just carrying around this knowledge with him in his, in his head. So verse three, Jonathan, King Saul's son, made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now next week, we're going to explore this legendary friendship between David and Jonathan and this covenant and what it means and how it plays out in David's life. But that's next week. So just tuck that away and we'll come back to that next week. Uh, today, verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent David on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, if you've been with us in the series so far, um, you know that when Saul hears this story or this song, he's, he's not going to like it. Because we know from, from the story that Saul is a, is a train wreck of a king. He's impulsive, he's selfish, his reign is chaotic, it's just out of control. Um, uh, Saul is also a coward, and so while Saul was chosen to be king because, as the Bible says, he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else, he looked like a warrior. When push comes to shove and there's a great champion, a giant across the field named Goliath, what is Saul, who is Israel's champion, what is he doing? He's hiding in the tents and he sends David, the young shepherd, out to fight his battle for him. He's a coward. Uh, he's selfish. He's impulsive. I mean, he's self-centered. He's insecure. You mix all of that together and you just get lots and lots and lots of jealousy. So verse eight, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. 
They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, as we keep reading the story, we're going to see what this means is that he's going to lay traps for David where he's going to try to set him up in order to kill David because he sees David as a threat. So this, the chapter keeps going and it tells us how David is a skilled musician. Uh, so he brings David in to play for him from time to time. King Saul does. And so this leads to verse 10. David was playing the lyre, which is like a harp, I guess, or a guitar, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. I mean, Saul is a train wreck. And now he's just falling apart in front of us and he's, and he's not done yet. So, so next, he sets a trap for David where he offers David his, his daughter in marriage. And, and the price, the condition for the marriage is that David has to kill 100 Philistines. Now Saul's plan is that he's like playing the odds here. So 100 Philistines, surely one of them is gonna get the best of David and, uh, and, and, and be able to kill him, except that David is successful, the Lord is with him, and this is how the chapter ends, is just highlighting the success that he's having because the Lord is with him. And so verse 28, it says, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Saul is losing it. He's losing control. He's falling apart. He's just obsessed with David. Now the story keeps going into chapter 19 where he keeps trying to set these traps for David. And the next trap he sets is, is even more personal. Now that Saul is his father-in-law because David has married Michal's daughter, Saul sends some soldiers one night to David and Michal's house and the soldiers are waiting outside in the bushes waiting for David to come out in the morning where the plan is that they're going to ambush him as he comes out the house and in order to kill him. The problem is, is that Michal, his daughter, Saul's daughter, David's wife, sees these men waiting in the bushes outside their home and so she warns David and David is able to escape out of, out of the window. I mean, talk about ups and downs. I mean, think about David's story so far. David was this young shepherd out tending the flocks one day. The prophet comes to town. He didn't, wasn't even invited to the party. He didn't even know he was there until he gets called in to come to the party where the prophet Samuel is there. And there in front of his family, he's anointed secretly as the king of Israel. The story goes on and David, because he's too young, his brothers go off to fight in Saul's war against the Philistines. And David's father, Jesse, sends David to, to uh, bring them provisions some food to provide for his brothers, his seven older brothers. And while he's there, he sees the Philistine army and he sees the, Isra the Israelite army and, and he sees that the Israelites are terrified. They're just hiding in their tents, so afraid of the Philistines and the champion who comes out day after day to taunt them and to mock them. And so David looks around and he sees these Israelites afraid and he asks them to them and himself, he says, why is everyone so afraid? Because if the Lord is with us, how can we possibly lose? And so David, the young shepherd, not a warrior, not a grown man, he raises his hand and says, if no one else will go, I'll go fight this, this champion. And so Saul sends him out in his army, or his, his armor, he takes it all off and he just fights this champion with five smooth stones and a sling and he wins the greatest military victory ever. I mean, just an incredible victory that, that, that David experiences. It's like the highs of highs. He's just riding from one success and one victory after another until what do you do after that? What comes next? And you get promoted. You get promoted to come work for the king, the one who you've been protecting, the one who you've been serving. 
And, and, and not only you work for him, but he invites you into his family. And now, though, you find yourself in real danger. <laughs> because now this, this very king who is now your father-in-law, the one that you've been protecting and, and serving the people, and you're a good leader, you care about the nation, now he's really out to get you. And so you just talk about ups and downs because the danger, the, the, the danger is now right in front of him. Now David's got to be thinking, like, how did this happen? I mean, how did it go from, from knowing that God's plan is for me to be the next king of Israel to having this great victory where I saved the day for everyone, and yet now I hear a hymn with the very people that I'm supposed to protect, these are the ones who are coming after me. David has to be thinking, like, how did this happen? How, how, how is this part of God's plan? Now, that question, it reminds me of that verse that a lot of people go to whenever we start talking about God's plan. I'm sure you've heard it before. Jeremiah 29, 11 goes like this. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great line. People quote it all the time when it comes talking to about, you know, God's plan for our life. And so people will say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And then they'll go to this verse and be like, see, that's what it says. Jeremiah 21, 29, 11. It's right, it's right there. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And when we quote this verse, of course, we conveniently forget that it was written in the context of Israel's darkest days while they're in exile in Babylon. No, we, we conveniently forget that. And we just say, no, 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 look, like, God has a wonderful plan for you, and the plan is good. He's going to prosper you. It's hopeful. You've got a bright future. That's what, it, that's what it says. And so you get this sense that if you follow God's plan for your life, that your life should go smoothly. You get the sense that because of God's wonderful plan, your life should go up and to the right, that you should accept, uh, experience victory after victory and success after success. That's kind of what you walk away hearing and thinking when, when people start to talk about God's wonderful plan for our lives. But here's the truth. The truth is, the reality is, that God's plan for our life never, and I want you to hear this word, never follows a straight line. God's plan for our life never follows a straight line, at least according to our vantage point. And we see this all over the Bible. I mean, think about David. Clearly, it's not following a straight line. I think about people like Abraham. God's plan for Abraham is that Abraham is going to be the father of nations. Along the way, Abraham and his wife Sarah find out that they're infertile. Doesn't really seem to be going according to plan. I, I, I think about Joseph. God's plan for Joseph is that he's going to save his family. His family will become the nation of Israel. And so God's plan for Joseph is that he's going to save his family, except that his family along the way sells him into slavery, and then he finds himself wrongly imprisoned for like years. How's that going according to plan? Or I think about, I think about Moses. God's plan for Moses is that Moses would lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, except along the way comes plague after plague after plague as Pharaoh won't listen and just hardens his heart. I, I think about the people of Israel. God's plan is to lead them into the promised land where there'll be a, a blessing to the nations, except along the way, they wander in the wilderness. For how long was it? Oh yeah, 40 years. I think about Paul. God's plan is that Paul will preach the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, but along the way, he faces opposition after opposition after opposition, eventually ending in his execution. 
And of course, the ultimate example, I think about Jesus. God's plan is to send his son to save all of us. And the people he came to save along the way, they oppose him, they betray him, and he dies a gruesome death on the cross, where on the cross he cries out, quoting his ancestor, King David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, here's the reality. God's plan never goes on a straight line, at least according to our vantage point. And so when we set our lives to follow God's plan, and we set our lives to to follow this, to live into this, we should expect that we are going to experience things like setback and opposition and obstacles and challenges. And we should expect that things sometimes are going to zig and then they're going to zag, that things aren't going to just go according to a straight line. Because the thing is, these these setbacks and oppositions and challenges and obstacles that we find when we set our lives to live on God's plan. The thing is we have to understand as well is that these come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. I mean, probably not, you're, you're probably not gonna experience the, the setbacks like, like your father-in-law sends you know, some soldiers to wait outside your house to, to ambush you and kill you. I say probably not because I, I don't know, but, but probably you're gonna experience these, you know, these setbacks in all kinds of other ways. I mean, I think about this. I think about like, I think about, for instance, the family who maybe has deep connections in a community, maybe deep roots in a church. And then for whatever reason, maybe, you know, life changes and they find themselves uprooted. Maybe they move to a new community. They have to get connected in a new church. They find themselves maybe on the outside for the first time, isolated, maybe lonely, disconnected. And this isn't like them. And now they, they've realized that the plan for their life that they thought they had, now it looks different. Or I think about maybe the, the teenager who watches from the sideline as his uh, parents' marriage dissolves right in front of him. And it's, of course, not his fault, but now he has a very different life than he was going to have before. Or I think about maybe the couple who's in a stage of life raising kids and, and busy with all of those kinds of activities, and then because of a diagnosis in the family, they find themselves now maybe caring for a parent as well as they're sandwiched between their kids and their, and their parents and caring for their parents in a way they didn't expect to do for another maybe decade or more. Like, these kinds of setbacks come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and, and we find ourselves oftentimes ambushed, not by soldiers, but we find ourselves ambushed by life. And so the question becomes, when life doesn't go according to plan, when it's not a straight line, when things zig and they zag instead of going according to what you thought they were going to do, what do you do then? Like, what is your response? That is a real question of faith is what is your response when things start to fall apart and they don't go according to the plan, at least according to your vantage point, and, and you're having a hard time seeing how is God involved in this, how do you respond then? That's the real question of faith. And the amazing thing about David's story is that we know how he responds. Because in the Bible, not only do we have David's life story, like First and Second Samuel, the events of his life, but we also have his prayer journal where he writes songs and poems and, and prayers about the various things that are going on in his life. It's the longest book of the Bible. It's called the Psalms. And David wrote a specific psalm, a song, about this particular experience that he had. Let's go read it. It's Psalm 59. We're going to read through this, but we're going to start um, at the very beginning of Psalm 59. In fact, like even before verse 1, here's how Psalm 59 begins. 
Psalm 59, then it gives a description for the director of music. So this is a song to the tune of Do Not Destroy. We don't know what that is. Of David, he's the author, a miktam, some sort of musical notation. And here's the reason he wrote this. When Saul had set men to watch David's house in order to kill him. In the Hebrew, this description is actually labeled as verse 1, and then verse 2 is the English verse 1, because this description is really important to tie these together. But this is the exact psalm that David wrote because of this experience where his father-in-law tried to kill him. Here's what he writes. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from my evildoers and set me free from those who are after me or after my blood. Now, in our English translations, we, we miss something that's, that's happening here. It's, it's very subtle, but it's also really inspiring when you can catch this. So in the original Hebrew, these, these first two verses are written a little bit differently where some words are kind of flipped around. And so to read this a bit more literally in the original Hebrew would be like this. Deliver me from my enemies, O God, against those who are attacking me, be my fortress. Deliver me from evildoers and from those who are after my blood, save me. So you notice there's just some slight changes there. So our English translations made this in order to be more readable, but the more literal translation, both of these verses start and stop. They begin and end with verbs that describe what God does. Um, in verse one, it starts with deliver me and it ends with my fortress. In verse two, it starts with deliver me and it ends with uh, save me. And then what, so what David has done here is he's, he's shifted the focus of what's happening in his life. So in real life, what's happening is his enemies are surrounding him. Like literally, they're surrounding his house, waiting for him to come out in the morning because they're going to ambush him. They're in the bushes. But David, he takes this problem and he puts the problem in the middle and surrounds it with these words of God's salvation, of what God does. And so in the middle of this, in verse 1, he names the problem as those who are attacking hit me and he names them as evildoers. But then he just surrounds them with the word order. So he's like, it's almost like he's surrounding his enemies with the work of God, these very enemies who are trying to surround him quite literally in his life. So David's not ignoring the problem. He's, he's not pretending that everything's great. He's just like he's shifted the focus away from the problem onto trust in God. And this is what he's going to do for the rest of the prayer. Is he's going to shift the focus from a very real threat onto the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And this is such a small and subtle shift that is so inspiring because it's not normal. Like, do you know what normal people do when their boss starts throwing spears at them? <laughs> or do you know what normal people do when their father-in-law sets men to ambush them outside their home at night? Or do you know what normal people do when, you know, life doesn't go according to plan and things start to zig and zag and things start to feel like they're out of control? Do you know what normal people do? They freak out. They try to grasp for control. That's what they do. A normal person, you see, a normal person is a person who's, who's controlled by their circumstances. And so whatever their circumstances are doing, this starts to control them. And so, and so a person, this is so important, a person who is controlled by their circumstances lets their circumstances control them. A person controlled by their circumstances surrounds, lets their problems surround them. But a person who trusts in the Lord surrounds their problems with prayer. A person who trusts in the Lord surrounds their circumstances, surrounds their problems with prayer. There's a huge difference in those two approaches. And this is what David's doing. So we keep reading here, verse three. See how they lie in wait for me. 
Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you are the God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords. And they think, who can hear us? By the way, do you remember what Goliath had said to David on the battlefield? He says, who is this dog who's coming after me? I can't help but think that David has that rattling around in his head as he has these new enemies, as he uses the same kind of language. Verse eight, but you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at those nations. And because of this, David says, you are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me, but do not kill them, Lord. Our shield or my people will forget. In your might, uproot them and bring them down for the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips. Let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in your wrath. Consume them until they are no more. By the way, this is a great prayer. Next time you find yourself in in some conflict, you can just tuck this prayer away and bring it out. But, but I know as Christians, we, we hear this and it's kind of like, ah, I thought we were supposed to pray blessings over people. But, but notice as David is, is praying this, he's not praying for himself to revenge himself against his enemies. He's praying that the Lord would silence the Lord's enemies. And the reason for this is, is because of God's purposes. So we keep reading here. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I love that. They come at night and hide in the bushes like cowards. But I will be standing in the morning, not only standing, but I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Oh my gosh, it's so good. How does David respond to God's plan that doesn't go in a straight line? How does he respond when it zigs and it zags and it doesn't go according to plan? How does David respond? Well, really simply, ultimately, he sings praises to the Lord. In fact, three different times in this psalm, he says, I'm going to sing to the Lord. And three different times he talks about how that song is connected to God's strength. And three different times he talks about how that song is, is because God is his fortress protecting him. And if you were keeping count, that's actually three sets of three. <laughs> As David is, is highlighting this, that, that his focus is going to be on worshiping God because God is good, because God is faithful, because God will see him through whatever it is he faces. This is a man after God's own heart. So, do you know the most important and helpful thing you can do when life gets out of control? Do you know the most important and helpful thing you can do when you're ambushed by life? Do you know the most important and helpful thing you can do when life doesn't go according to plan? It's this, you can sing praise to the Lord. It's the most important and helpful thing. Do you know why? Because God is faithful. And even when you're surrounded by obstacles and you're ambushed by life and nothing's going according to the plan that you thought God had for you, you can still choose to dwell on God's faithfulness. And as a follower of Jesus, you don't ever need to wonder if God is faithful. 
because God has already shown his faithfulness to us and that while we were lost in our sin, he sent his own son to die for us that we might have life in him. The cross is the proof of God's faithfulness in our life. This is why Paul writes this in Romans chapter eight. He says, we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And listen to this question. What then shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say in response to all the zigs and the zags and the ambushes of life? What should we say when life doesn't go according to plan? What should we say when, when there are things that keep us up at night and we feel like we're just overwhelmed with the things coming against us? Here's what we say. If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you know this, it really doesn't matter what you're facing because that's a song worth singing. Let's pray. And so, Father, uh, we just acknowledge right off the bat that there are some of us who are with us today who are ambushed by life. Um, probably not men hiding in the bushes waiting to attack us, but probably all kinds of things, diagnosis and job loss and financial troubles and people who we love, who we're worried about, all kinds of things that come against us, relationships and conflict and, and danger that surrounds us. And Lord Jesus, we just wanna, first of all, stop and focus and remember that you are faithful in all things. You are our fortress. And because this is who you are, we can sing of your love, we can sing of your praise, we can sing of your goodness in everything that we face because we are people who have been marked by your faithfulness. You gave your own son for us. And so therefore, what can come against us? Nothing, because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you remind us of this truth today? Encourage us that we can rest in you and for anyone who's with us who doesn't know this hope, may we offer just a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, that you are so faithful to us, that you welcome us into your family. And that no matter what we faced, even when life zigs and zags, there is a plan. Maybe from our vantage point, it's not a straight line, but we know that we can trust you in absolutely everything. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I wanna thank the team that made this service possible and in particular, thank Pastor Spencer for his meaningful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, I invite you to like it and share it with others. And now we invite you back next week for week four of our sermon series about David. Have a great week.
Delight, visions of rain. 